of Walt Disney World's Magic Kingdom in honor of our past guests and in grateful appreciation to those of you who have revisited the Magic Kingdom so many times. We proudly dedicate this, our 25th anniversary parade, to you. Today, for the first time in our history, nearly 1,000 of our park guests will join the Disney cast and perform with them in a magical moment from a Walt Disney classic. Join us now as we take you live to Mickey Mouse's 60th anniversary celebration. Hello, my friend. How's everything look up ahead? So many people. That's well. I hope they're ready for a wild adventure. Well, let's get this show on the road. <laughs> We're on our way, my friend. Our journey has begun. And now. The Magic Kingdom proudly presents, in a million points of musical light, the magical worlds of WDW Radio, your information station. Hello, my friend, and welcome to the WDW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World information station. I am your host, Lou Mangiello, and this is show number 495, and I'm here once again not only to help you have the best experience when you go to the Disney parks, but I really also want to try and bring you a little bit of that Disney magic wherever you are with the podcast, videos, the WW Radio blog, my live video broadcasts and chats every Wednesday night on Facebook, my books, audio tours, special events, and more. You can find everything over at www.radio.com. So I think enjoying the parades at the Disney parks is more than just a way to kill some time before your next meal. In fact, in many ways, it's a rite of passage. The characters and dancers and floats and music offer more than just a show, but an experience to be enjoyed by kids of all ages. And this week, we're going to look at not just the history of the Walt Disney World parades, but the surprising number and variety through the years as we explore the Lost Parades of Walt Disney World. I'll then have the answer to our last Walt Disney World trivia question of the week, and I'll pose a new challenge for your chance to win a Disney prize package. Then stay tuned to the end of the show. I'll have more information and updates, including about our next meet of the month in Walt Disney World, your voicemails, and more. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WW Radio Show. 
and gentlemen, boys and girls, we are proud to present a 10-year anniversary celebration of family entertainment. Walt Disney World's exciting Tencennial Parade. What is a trip to Walt Disney World without going on to Main Street USA, grabbing some popcorn, finding your spot on your favorite piece of curb on Main Street, and taking in one of Walt Disney World's famous parades? It, it is really, I think, a rite of passage that either we did as a kid or we take our kids as adults. And to me, the parades are attractions that, that take place throughout the entire park but with that appropriate level of, of pomp and circumstance. And I did some, when I was thinking about this segment, I was trying to figure out how many parades there probably have been in Walt Disney World uh, since it opened in 1971. And the number I came up with was surprising. <laughs> I originally thought, I don't know, maybe probably about 20 or so. And it's actually nearly 50. And they all varied in terms of duration length, both in terms of performance and size, as well as theme. Some marked special occasions, some celebrated just simply the magic of Disney. Some reflected the times. Oh, the 80s and 90s were quite interesting, to say the least. And others were just plain interesting. And so this week, we're going to journey down the old parade route and look at some of the lost parades of Walt Disney World. And joining me is a man who not only loves a good parade, but in my opinion, is deserving one of his own for the wonderful work he has contributed to and for the Disney parks as a cast member, performer, historian, author, raconteur, and all-around nice guy. Uh, some folks knew him as Merlin. I know him as my friend, Mr. Jim Corcus. Welcome back, my friend. Well, thank you. I love a parade. And in fact, you and I together, we're our own parade as we're uh, here at uh, Disney Springs and walking down. We, we even had uh, this uh, woman who waved and go, oh, Lou Mangiello. It's the Lou Mangiello. Well, we were like waddling down after our lunch today and that's, we sort of looked like our own little group of parade, parade floats. Yes, but parades, what a wonderful topic. And not uh, and again, we take them so much for granted. We just assume, oh, well, we're going to a, a Disney theme park. We're, we're going to uh, have a parade. But, you know, until Walt um, uh, created Disneyland with a parade, parades didn't exist at amusement parks. If you went to an amusement park and saw a parade, that would have been very, very uh, uh, unusual. But, but Walt... Um, Loved parades, and and especially growing up in a small town in uh, uh, Marceline, the small town uh, is prone to have a lot of uh, parades for special occasions. You know, July 4th or Easter or uh, uh, you have a Veterans Day or Memorial Day parade or a circus parade, of course, uh, uh, with that. And so if you have a Disneyland and you have a small town Main Street, it just made sense to him that you'd have a parade. And so... Um, the very first Disneyland parade, of course, was uh, probably the uh, Christmas parade, which was a combination circus parade because they had the Mickey Mouse Club Circus 
so you had the circus wagons and you had the big parade and all of that and it went up Main Street because it would take you up to where the circus tent was for Mickey Mouse uh, Club uh, Circus and uh, people would just follow along uh, uh, the parade just like Walt as a kid would follow along the parades in, in his uh, small town and uh, Walt immediately saw that this was a great uh, guest satisfier people uh, loved uh, parades and so uh, it, it hit that emotional level but from an operational level uh, it was very very clever because now uh, you were talking about it being an attraction it's actually a, a live performance and so you have a live performance for a huge number of people without having to build a dedicated uh, stage facility so you know very very clever and uh, so all of those uh, parades started uh, to develop in the beginning a lot of them were were filled with uh, volunteers the early Christmas parades at Disneyland uh, you had uh, local cultural groups come in it really wasn't until uh, um, 1961 the fantasy on parade where Walt personally got involved with the development of costumes and the floats themselves uh, that really established uh, the Disney parade that, that, that we know today. And, of course, that tradition carried out, uh, as so many of the Disneyland traditions did, out to uh, Walt Disney World. So it, it just went without saying that there would be a pr- parade at the Magic Kingdom. And so Magic Kingdom was the very first Disney park that had a parade route that was planned and uh, so you've been backstage so you know this that there's that dedicated facility out behind where Splash Mountain is now where where they keep the parade floats there's also a uh, uh, rehearsal center and there's costuming there too and so the parade can uh, step off from uh, uh, Frontierland there or there's that pathway that goes around backstage so it could step off uh, right by the uh, gates by the car barn on, on Main Street. And wherever the parade ends, it can always circle back uh, to that facility. So very, very clever. Yeah, sort of uh, making sure that the uh, pathways were wide enough and there weren't sort of the arching bridges and things like that made it much, much easier. But you're right, it, it's, you know, with the story of Main Street USA sort of celebrating July 4th at turn of the century midway, like that's what you would expect to see there would be this big grand parade and have people lining the streets for it. And it's funny, Jim, because when I was a kid, I was never a big parade guy. And it wasn't until I got older that the parade started to be something that not I, we would catch if we happened to be there, but I would start to sort of think about and plan for because... As they became more well-themed and more grand, they became, like I said, not just attractors, but almost attractions. And you can see, still to this day, decades later, people lining up and sort of claiming their spots. You know, making their... In Disneyland, they put down blankets sometimes. Uh, I've seen people draw chalk circles around themselves (laughs) to sort of claim their spot because the parade is such an important part of they or their family's experience. And, uh, of course, Disney was very clever, too, because uh, 
why three o'clock for a parade for crying out loud I, it, it was determined that that was when there was peak attendance because uh, many of you know that sometimes people come you know right at the crack of when the park will open you know early in the morning and so by the afternoon about three o'clock or so they're they're ready to go home or or in the case out here at walt disney world you know go to the Resort and maybe go to the pool and rest a little bit before you come back. But also, uh, at three o'clock is around the time when the second wave comes in that have been uh, either sleeping late or doing something else, and now they're coming to the parks to play and are going to spend the night there. So, th- three o'clock was a peak time. And of course, the most popular question uh, asked at Walt Disney World was what time is the three o'clock parade? And uh, I'm a former uh, guest relations um, uh, cast member, and at at first I thought, well, don't you tell these people just <laughs> go over into the emporium there and, and buy a Mickey Mouse watch or something, you know? Or there's a clock on the clock tower there, you know? Uh, but basically, uh, at guest relations, we were taught that uh, there were other reasons for that. Uh, one of those reasons, of course, was just to begin a conversation. You know, as as an opening. Another reason was that a lot of people forget that a parade is 15, 20 minutes long. So if it starts at 3 o'clock in Frontierland, what time is the 3 o'clock parade here on on Main Street? So there's a lot of different reasons for that. But 3 o'clock was picked because that's a peak time. And then they also realized... That you could use a parade, which is where nighttime parades started to uh, come in, uh, to lead people out of the parks as a way of sort of uh, being the grand finale, the the, the conclusion to, to your day. So, you know, it drags everybody down towards the front of the park so it's easier to then uh, uh, move them out outside. Or, uh, in the case with nighttime parades as well, uh, keep people around a, a little bit longer. Well, you know, we're worn out, but yeah, let, let's go uh, have a bite to eat or whatever, and then we'll see the parade, and then then we'll uh, uh, go home. But but as a kid, you were not a, a fan of parades, huh? I, I wasn't. Uh, I felt like I just needed to do all the attractions, and the parade was just taking away from my time. Now I'm like, I need to go eat. I don't have time for a parade. <laughs> but as time went on, and the parades would, would change, and then I would find things that were interesting about them, whether it was a character that I wanted to see, a particular float, a particular piece of music, all of a sudden the parades became something that I was looking forward to. And now, as I'm much, much older, I find that not just because the parades are, are maybe grander or longer or have, you know, fire-breathing dragons in it, but I find that they are one, it's, look, it's one of those simple pleasures that we enjoy about the Disney parks um, you don't have to get a fast pass for. You don't have to make all these plans for. And it's just one of those simple things that I'm, I think obviously everybody can enjoy, but you know, simply makes people happy when they're there. Yes. And, well, it, and it certainly makes the cast members in the parade happy because you get credited for two sets. <laughs> so if you're a costumed character and you're in the parade, you get credited for two sets. So that, that, that saves some wear and tear. Although I must admit... That for the most part, when I see uh, uh, characters in a parade and uh, uh, performers, the dancers, all of that, they all seem so so happy, and they all 
seem to interact with you personally, even though they 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 may Cinderella's not... waving at me like mm-hmm. I'm the person she's waving. I, I, I know, and uh, didn't you see me earlier, Cinderella? <laughs> I got your autograph, you know. Um, so I, I I think that's uh, you know absolutely wonderful. Walt, of course, was was greatly influenced by uh, the Tournament of Roses Parade in in Pasadena, where uh, over the years. Uh, uh, there were Disney-related uh, floats, and, and of course uh, Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, where uh, again Disney had uh, contributions to various uh, uh, parades there. You know, and one of the things that I don't think people fully realize is that the uh, Rose Parade actually helped inspire some of the topiaries we see at Walt Disney World in terms of using color in the topiaries, because the original topiaries. Even at Disneyland, they were the traditional topiaries, so they're all green. But um, one time, uh, one of the uh, Walt Disney World landscapers was was watching the uh, Rose Parade and, and saw the use of all these other different colors that could be used, and they were all natural, and so started to incorporate them in uh, a lot of the uh, topiaries we have here on property. Now, in 61, Walt uh, told uh, Bill Justice... Uh, who was uh, designing some of the floats and designing some of the costumes. He says, uh, uh, Bill, you know, you've got to make the costumes comfortable because we don't want to kill these people, you know. And, and again, you have to be very careful, too, because when you're on a parade float and you're standing, you can't stand straight because your knees will lock and you'll collapse uh, up there. So you have to constantly shift your weight. You notice that sometimes there's bars there for the <laughs> characters to hold on to just in case. But he said uh, he didn't want the, the, the floats to be so overwhelming that people would be craning their heads back to, to see the whole thing. He wanted something, you know, uh, nice and comfortable. And then Disney, of course, uh, through the parades, developed an awful lot of uh, uh, technology that, again, we take uh, uh, for granted. So uh, the use of sound, uh, sometimes the use of lights, just the logistics. And, and in fact... Walt Disney World has a very sophisticated uh, sound system, and a lot of people don't realize this, but on uh, Main Street, you're so focused on the floats that you should look up to the second floors because sometimes the windows open to reveal speakers. And uh, a particular one that caught my eye was uh, a friend of mine is Tom Nabby. His window goes up, so you can't see Tom Nabby's name, but there's a speaker out there. And then as soon as the parade finishes, it just slides down very silently, and, and it's gone. And that happens several places uh, over there. And, um, yeah, the technology is just uh, amazing. So you get the sound right at the point where uh, that happens. And like you, Lou, I, I started to do some research when you said, yeah, we want to talk about parades. And I... And, and I was thinking, yeah, there, there's probably, you know, two dozen or so, may, may, maybe. A, but, yes, there, there's all those. And uh, some of them weren't really even officially called parades. Only in retrospect they were. Sometimes they were called street parties. But they were a parade by any other, other name. And, and some of them were very short-lived. Some of them were hugely uh, uh, elaborate. And so... Uh, uh, this is a wonderful topic because I, I went back and uh, I, I've seen a lot of the uh, parades out here at Walt Disney World, and it it brought back uh, memories of some that uh, I had forgotten, including Dinosaur Live and Aladdin and 
March of the Artimals and and all of that. So. Uh, how do you want to start? Do you want to start with a favorite parade of yours and we'll go? So let, let's, I want to do this first because, again, in doing my research, surprised about the numbers and then reading through sort of the history of the parades, some of the ones I had forgotten about. And I'm like, oh, I remember that. And there was a, either a float or a character or a piece of music that I forgot. So let's sort of maybe go park by park and talk about some of the lost ones. But for those of you who are wondering, Mangello, you've lost your marbles. There's no way there's 50 parades I counted 30, at least 30 parades in Magic Kingdom alone. Mm -hmm. And I want you, our friend, the listener who's sitting here with us, to see how many of these you remember. I'm sure, obviously, you know Main Street Electrical Parade, which was there a number of different times between 97 and 2016. Spectral Magic, Celebrated Dream Come True, the Disney Dreams Come True Parade. But there was also things like the Magical Moments Parade, the Remember the Magic Parade, one of my favorites, which we'll come back and talk about, Mickey Mania. <laughs> All right, so we know why we're laughing. Um, the Surprise Celebration Parade, the 20th Anniversary Parade, the Character Hit Parade, Mickey's All-American Birthday Parade, the Spirit of America, 15 Years of Magic, Mickey's Street Party, another one of my favorites, and I want to tell the, we want to tell the story about Charlie Ridgway and Donald's 50th Birthday Parade, the Tencennial Parade, the Pinocchio Parade, which only lasted a few months, uh, Dumbo's Circus Parade, yeah. Scary Clowns. Um, Mickey had a Mickey had a lot of birthday parades. He had a 50th birthday parade. There was also a Mickey Mouse Club Parade, America on Parade, which I remember seeing as a kid with my parents. Uh, the Character Parade. Remember when Pooh ran for president against Captain Hook? There was the Christmas Cavalcade, Very Merry Christmas Parade, the Enchanted Adventure, and of course, it kicked off with the day one grand opening parade. Um, it was something like you said had a history in Disneyland, and what better way to open up Magic Kingdom on October 1st, 1971. So in going through that list... You're, you're missing. You're missing the Easter Parade, which was a, a big a biggie, especially in the early years, and then the Christmas Parade, and the Halloween Parade. Oh, how did I miss the Halloween? See it. <laughs> And I and it you know the, and that's the thing. Sometimes I miss some of the uh, the obvious ones. I'll, and, and now Halloween is one of, if not my favorite parade. But in going through that list, were there any that stick out for you? Were memorable for you? A personal favorite of yours? Well, and and again, you need to realize that I'm a I'm a California boy, so I grew up out on the West Coast and and saw parades at, at Disneyland. But a lot of times, those uh, parades got. Um, a version out here at Walt Disney World as well. And so uh, one of the uh, first uh, parades uh, that st- stuck in my mind was from uh, 75, America on Parade, which uh, uh, at that time, because up until that time, they, there, there were character parades and things like this. It's so funny you went to that because that was the one I was going to mention first yeah. because uh, because of a personal memory. Yeah, and 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 so it, it really stuck in my mind out in, out in California, but apparently it, it was duplicated pretty much exactly out here at, at Walt Disney World um, because it at that time it was the largest parade that Disney had ever done, like 150 performers, 50 floats. Um, all of that, and and the the interesting thing uh, is because you had um, uh, the parade, of course, is celebrating America's bicentennial. So, so you have floats representing uh, key moments in American history or uh, uh, cultural 
uh, aspects, like American picnics. And so, so, so you literally had, I, I think it was like a, a, a hot dog or, or, or something. I remember that there was a, like a box of yeah. popcorn and there was a giant turkey. Yes. And, uh, but of course, uh, the Disney characters, but they, they appeared, you know, at the end as an afterthought because, of course, how could you have a Disney parade without Disney characters? And in fact, uh, the first, I think, successful Disney parade without a Disney character was probably Tapestry of Nations. Uh, and, and so people even hesitated calling it a parade because there were no Disney characters in it. But, yeah, the American Bicentennial just seemed to be so overwhelming and even more overwhelming. And I still have some of these is the merchandise <laughs> that was sold. And, and, and you think about it at the time and like, why are you buying merchandise for a parade? It's not like something that's permanent. It, it's going to disappear after 19. 19- 76. But you said you have a personal memory with this? So, um, I'm going to get all choked up. So my dad was very much, you know, like Walt. Like, he loved America. And I remember as a kid, the the Bicentennial was a big deal um, back then. And I remember it being celebrated at Walt Disney World um, and the parades. And I remember the giant floats. And I remember the music. And I think still somewhere in my garage, I have um, uh, an old Viewmaster reel. Of the parade, but the thing I remember, in addition to the giant turkey, were uh, some of the character performers mm-hmm. were similar to ones that were used at the grand opening of Epcot. Where they were the really tall characters with the giant, um, the giant heads, mm-hmm. and maybe uh, you know yeah. eight, twelve feet tall, whatever they were. And I remember the um, the Danny Kaye special yeah. when seeing some of mm-hmm. those uh, World Showcase characters going around that. Um, but I remember a lot of the floats, and I remember. Um, and maybe it's a, you know, my, my recollection of the time. But I remember red, white, and blue being everywhere sort of throughout the park, not just on Main Street, but, but in Liberty Square as well. Yes, it, it, it was just, it was amazing, you know. And I, I'm surprised Disney uh, uh, didn't find a way of adapting that somehow. Because, again, as we start to talk about uh, some of these parades, we find that uh, they'll transform the parade. So a lot of those... Uh, uh, parades like for uh, 100 Years of Magic and all of that uh, still survived, or, or for the millennium, still survived, but then it had tweaks to it. Because, again, it, it becomes, uh, as the parades became more popular, more money is starting to be in, invested uh, uh, in these things. And, yeah, and, and speaking of American Parade, I think in my storage unit I have in one of my boxes a plate that has, of course, the, the official image, and thinking back on it now, it's like, why would I want to buy a plate with an image? It's not like I could eat off of that plate. What, what am I going to do? I, obviously, I stick it in my storage box. So so what other parades there at Magic Kingdom uh, is, is strike your fancy there? So there are other ones that I remember for different reasons. But because we both laughed yeah. when I said Mickey, Mickey Mania, Mania. Right. I think we sort of have to go back to the mid-90s. I think it was summer 94. And what I remember about this parade from my somewhat blurry memory of the 90s was that it was very, very long. But I remember the, um, the music from the parade, and I still have the, uh, the sound clip because it screamed 1994. <laughs> um, the, the, the opening line of the parade was this uh, female rapper who said, Yo, listen up, all you rad dudes. 
Walt's house is a rockin' with the mania that hits the street with the brand new beat. And even Goofy jumps in. He's like, yeah, gosh, it sounds like a party. Maybe I should make a cake. Roger Rabbit, who was going to, at some point, you know, sort of be the, the sidekick to Mickey Mouse. He was meant to be a lot bigger than he ended up being. Says it's not that kind of party. It's a deaf jam. And we're all invited to groove with the rest of the gang. She comes back and says, my main man, Mickey Mouse, <laughs> I can't even say it with a straight face, is busting fresh out of sight. He wants you to chill hard and bump the bump while the mania groove. I'm looking around. I hope nobody hears me. Yeah. While the mania grooves your groove, Mickey Mania is taking control and take control it did. <laughs> Yo there, listen up all you rad dudes. Walt's house is rocking with a mania that's hit the street with a brand new beat. Gosh, it sounds like a party. Maybe I should bake a cake. Oh, oh, Tempest, Goofy, it's not that kind of party. It's a death jam, and we're invited to groove with the rest of the gang. That's right, Roger. My main man, Mickey Mouse, is busting fresh out of sight. He wants you all to chill hard and bump the bump while the mania grooves your moves. Mickey Mania is taking control. And again, you know, it, 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 it's sort of sad when, when Disney tries to be uh, uh, contemporary, Mickey Mouse disco and, and, and stuff like that. And again, yes, Roger Rabbit was, was everywhere at, at, at one point, you know, including uh, uh, the surprise cele- celebration, you know, the, the, the 20th there with the, the huge uh, cold air uh, uh, balloons there. But yeah, the Mickey Mania... And then you had bits of Mickey, actually. So his hand walking down the walking down the street. What what is that? You know. And uh, but everybody loves Mickey. So so it you 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 forgive that. But uh, yes, for an audience, terrific. Now, it, it, did you look on YouTube? Are there are there clips of this that exist? There are. And I and I for some reason I don't know why I I seem to remember. When Disney Channel used to show like stuff like in- Walt Disney World Inside Out and some of those shows, I think I remember seeing, again, maybe my recollection's skewed, but seeing some of that parade on TV. And I remember, again, being 1994, there were rollerbladers and skateboarders and dirt bikers and, and tried to be very much appealing to, you know, that tween, teen, young adult uh, audience. Right, and and it rarely does. <laughs> it, 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 it's it's like us trying to to be uh, hip for uh, millennials. There, uh, you know, it, it just doesn't uh, doesn't work it there. But but again, I'm a huge fan of Mickey Mouse. I, I lo- and I can't imagine any Magic Kingdom parade that didn't have Mickey at, at some point somewhere in it because. It's almost expected. It's almost a, a, a given. I'm, I'm sure that some of your listeners will phone in and go, "Well, no, on that uh, <laughs> uh, parade at the Magic Kingdom, Mickey, Mickey wasn't there, but uh, but uh, Magic Kingdom is his home, so he's there." So, uh, so yes, I, I, and again, yes, when you make, mention Mickey Mania, it, it brings out the the, <laughs> the laughs. But uh, not one of the. I was going to say not one of the more distinct. It is a distinctive parade. 
But there are other parades that were also distinctive. You know, I, I think the uh, uh, Share the Magic uh, uh, parade, which uh, uh, had the huge snow globes in them. And, and I had friends who were um, performers in that parade, and, and they were dropping over. <laughs> because you think Disney does this long enough that, that you know, they dot the I's and they cross the T's. But sometimes that really just doesn't happen, especially when you're trying to innovate. And so um, in 2001, one of the most popular souvenirs were snow globes. And, you know, it, it was so difficult that if you bought, and, and they were expensive too. I remember $65, $85 more for snow globes. And then if you had to try and ship them or take them with you on the airplane, it, 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 it was tough as well. I, I don't know if the air pressure affected the, the stuff in the globe or whatever. But it, in, it, so they thought, okay, we'll have a parade and we'll have these living snow globes. And so we'll have these characters in them and, and we'll, we'll shoot up these air streams of like tinsel so it'll swirl around there. And, and on paper, that looks great. In real life, it didn't occur to them that they really need to have ventilation in there. And also the fact that you're in this glass ball in Florida heat, so it's getting trapped like a greenhouse. And so these performers were just keeling over in, in the beginning until they realized, you know, what, what was happening. And then, uh, you know, as a performer, you have to be careful on a float that you can't stand straight for a... a sustained level of time or your knees lock and you'll collapse and um, so you've seen that sometimes some of the characters have poles to hang on to and uh, all of that so you know there's more to uh, a parade is not quite as easy uh, as it looks and Shara uh, Dream I think went through um, two different changes uh, you know, after the uh, 100 Years of Magic uh, celebration, because, again, we've got all of this invested. And I think they took away the uh, princess snow globe and they uh, substituted it with um, our old familiar favorite, which is that castle float where the princesses can stand on those steps and all that. And, and, and you're right. It, it's just so exciting. You're guaranteed now uh, to see... You know, uh, those, those characters. And, and as I said, you know, they look uh, happy. They look uh, uh, smiling. But for me, I, I love the those uh, dancers who dance along by the side of the floats and twirl in time and, and, and all of that. And then wave and eye contact and uh, all of that. Good stuff. Good stuff. And I, you know, I actually should have prefaced this entire segment by saying, you know, we talk about the cast members all the time. I, I and not to take away from any other cast member. I think the parade cast members are some of the hardest working cast members anywhere on property, especially in the middle of summer. They are out there giving a performance like it was the first time they're doing it for the most important VIP in the audience. They're smiling. They're sweating. I think about some of the parades like the Pixar parade with the acrobat. I mean, they're working so hard in the blistering sun. And you'd never guess, you know, how um, how difficult that must be uh, for them. So I, I want to just I want to acknowledge that and know that it is uh, it's understood and appreciated. But when we were talking about the Mickey Mania Parade, I, I thought back about you know that's not the only one that was very much sort of locked in a a moment in time. 
there was the um, the street party that took place in the mid '80s, from uh, January '85 until about '86, when the 15 years of Magic Parade. That was the same kind of thing. It was very disco-y. Um, they wore the baggy pants with the neon colors and the stripes on it. Um, it very much felt like um, the, the middle of the 80s. But I think one of the things that, you know, Disney does well, and you were mention, mentioning Mickey specifically, you know, Mickey had a lot of his own parades. He had the character parade. He had the Mickey Mouse Club parade. But they also did a lot to celebrate Mickey's birthday. Um, you know, Mickey Stick 60th, he got more than just a party. He got his, you know, his own birthday land, which is obviously now Storbuck Circus. But... For his 50th birthday in November of 78, um, he had a parade not just in Walt Disney World, but in Disneyland. Uh, And again, too, I remember here, uh, I remember being there because we drove down every year. And I I remember sort of the first time I saw it, like, oh, we happen to be here on the day they're celebrating Mickey's birthday, which also happens to be my daughter's now. But but it was obviously like all the parades, the parades that, that run as a celebration for a long period of time and the floats looked like, you know, giant presents or giant birthday cakes mm-hmm. um, and it really was sort of this year-long celebration, not just in the parade itself, but of Mickey's, you know, important 50th. And again, one of the things that you mentioned earlier was Donald Duck's birthday parade and, and we both knew uh, uh, Charlie Ridgway uh, very well. Uh, very sad that he passed away. So many people are are, are passing away now that that had that connection with with Disney history you know I, I, I was quite frankly I was very surprised Marty Scalar passing away because uh, just a week and a half earlier he was he was there at d23 Expo he he did I think like three panels and and he, he was sitting at a table signing his book for four hours whatever and and there was no indication that there was you know any issues or a problem there for that to happen, but but Charlie was intimately involved with Donald's fiftieth um, uh, 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 birthday parade, and for uh, the Magic Kingdom parade, came up with something tremendously unique, and he loved telling that story. Why don't you share that story about the little baby ducks there? So, And you're right. It, from the first time I met Charlie um, and, and we became friends yeah. and shared a publisher over the years, uh, I think this was one of, you know, you ask somebody their proudest moment, yeah. and they have, you know, they won't admit it, but I think he loved telling this story of how he arranged to have um, live ducks in the parade celebrating Donald, but not just live ducks in the parade, but live ducks wearing party hats. <laughs> and despite rumors to the contrary, they were not stapled to the ducks' heads. Um, they had them in a like a, a glass, you know, a plexiglass container, mm-hmm. so they stayed on um, the float. But um, and so they couldn't obviously escape or anything like that. But um, I, I think that was something that Charlie really sort of prided himself on was being able to bring live animals in, live ducks in to celebrate Donald's birthday. And and, and again, he, he told the story of you you want to have these uh, ducks following Donald. So what you do is you literally wait to have the ducks born and then you have the costumed Donald there so the ducks will imprint on the character, imprint on, the, on those big rubber uh, plastic feet there. And so when Donald would walk, it was just the most natural thing in the world for these little ducklings uh, to, to follow uh, follow along. And 
I, I, I think I remember Charlie telling me that, uh, yeah, all of this was happening uh, actually outside of his the window of his office. They, they had a little uh, farm area uh, set up there for, for that to happen. But, but again, that, that's just uh, another example of going uh, uh, over and above, over and beyond for, for these Disney parades. And again, you also have... This is a live show, really, even though you've got those floats. And, and again, another innovation that came from um, uh, the Rose Parade was having the drivers inside the floats. You know, if you look at uh, parades in local hometowns and things like that, usually you had a, a tractor or a car or something pulling the float. You know, the Rose Parade was the one that, you know, you have the driver inside. And, in fact, when you watch uh, the parade on, on New Year's Day and you see this... Uh, line that that goes down Colorado Boulevard. That's so literally the driver can look between his <laughs> legs to see the line and stay on the line so that he stays down the, down the middle of the the street. Now the Disney floats are a little uh, more technological uh, than that, but uh, still you have the, the drivers in very very cramped uh, uh, locations inside the floats. Uh, uh, doing this, but but yes, this is a live show, and it's got to be the same each day. And and one of the things that I don't think a lot of people realize, but when I first got hired at uh, uh, Walt Disney World in 1995, it was brought to my attention that um, if Mickey was in the parade, you couldn't find him anywhere else in the park for for a 20 minute thing because you didn't want to have a kid go up to Mickey for an autograph and say, Mickey, you're not in the parade today? I saw you in the 3 o'clock parade uh, yesterday. But at 3.20, as soon as that parade uh, uh, ends, uh, I guess Mickey has that little fast race car and, <laughs> and the underground tunnels, and then, then he can get right to Animal Kingdom or, or Epcot or wherever it is to, to sign those, those autographs. But again, this is a live show, and so you've got to continually be able to repeat it or actually not repeat it but recreate it you know over and over and and uh, over again and and yes the the look on uh, uh, people's faces and and I think part of the uh, excitement of the parade is uh, standing next to all these other people who are so excited so it, it just stirs you up as, as well as, as to what's going on there well and I think one of the things I remember, not only as a kid, but I, I will never forget, Jim, the first time I brought my daughter down, and she was sitting in a stroller on Main Street USA with ice cream all over her face, is how the characters would come over and interact with you. There was no barrier between you and the characters. So they'll give you a high five, they'll shake their hand, they'll blow you a kiss, whatever it is. And as young as she was, I'll never forget that look on her face just reacting to that character being there and the lights and the colors and the sounds. All right, but wait, we have other parts no, to no, get... Wait, but, but I, I want to add add to that as well, because the, the first parade at Walt Disney World that had a parade stop to incorporate that was the Share a Dream Come True parade. But before then, yes, unofficially, that happened all the time. And, and again, just like you and your daughter, guests remembered that as, as that high point. That, that they had that personal interaction. They were uh, uh, singled out. So, sometimes the characters, 
excuse me, sometimes the characters would even bring little kids out into the street to, to do a little dance or whatever, which great photo opportunity. But yeah, and, and again, so this is one of the things that makes a Disney parade different than even if you ha- go to a, another amusement park or theme park and, and see a parade, a Disney parade still has that Disney difference. And there's that personal touch. You feel like, like we said, that character, Jasmine's waving to me. The character is coming over and talking to me. Let, let's just quickly touch on a couple other ones that, that were, I think were interesting and unique. And then I, want, I have a yeah. question for you before we change parks. Uh, I remember the 20th anniversary surprise celebration, celebration. Yeah. which was unique in terms of its color schemes. It felt like a combination of Mardi Gras and sort of a, a Venetian carnival with the purples and the yellows and the greens and, and the very sort of vibrant colors. It didn't wasn't necessarily celebrating uh, a Mickey Mouse birthday or an anniversary. It was just this this anniversary in yeah, the, 20th, uh, the 20th of... Uh, right, and I guess right. it ran from that three years or so. Yeah. Uh, the one that you may or may not remember, because maybe you blocked it out, was Dumbo's Circus Parade. <laughs> <laughs> so it ran from January through December 1979 with uh, colorful, and I'm quoting from the Disney News, colorful costumes, comical ballerinas, a circus train, floats, ringmaster Mickey, and Dumbo himself. The thing they left out were the scary clowns. Yeah. <laughs> Very scary clowns. <laughs> Not I, intentionally scary. Yeah. It was meant to be, but, you know... Yeah, not Pennywise, but yeah. Um, yeah, going back just briefly to the 20th, the surprise, that, that was the whole thing. Is It was a surprise around the whole... So you had surprise parades at uh, um, Disney MGM as well, too. You, you know, you have this surprise. But they're using these uh, huge uh, uh, figures that are about... 30, 40 feet uh, tall, these uh, cold air balloons. And again, it's cold air, so you're not using helium. But these were the same balloons that were used for Disneyland's 35th. Walt Disney World has a tendency to uh, adapt uh, some of the material over there and bring it out. Because again, if you haven't seen it, it's new to you. And you had Roger Rabbit, but again, they made some changes. So out here, for the 20th, Roger was in a gestures hat, which he wasn't out in California. And Mickey was in a top hat because, again, it's it's Mardi Gras, you know, as opposed to out in California, it he was sorcerer uh, Mickey. And then, again, since it's a Mardi Gras type thing, they're throwing things from the floats. I guess Disney Legal does not <laughs> allow that to happen now. But, but again, in a Mardi Gras, you know, you, you, you want beads or you want coins or you want... Uh, something like that. And in the Dumbo parade, as I recall, I think Dumbo w- was in this barn float up on the second floor sticking out of it because, uh, again, it was to reference, you know, uh, Dumbo on that high platform he was going to fly out. And the thing that freaked me out even more than the um, uh, clowns was that Dumbo's ears would wiggle. So... Uh, uh, Inside the costume, I guess they, they had um, uh, sticks that they could grab onto to do that. And it just, you know, when something just strikes you as unnatural, you go, what? What, what is that? You know, and, and maybe they should bring it back uh, uh, this year, you know, because Dumbo's celebrating an anniversary again this year. But, but yes, clowns in general are, you know, uh, so you don't see a lot of them in Disney parades much. 
Yeah, I think maybe the only thing that was potentially creepier than the clowns for some people was back in Spectro Magic, you had the um, the white-faced characters with the masks that would glow, which could potentially be uh, a little creepy. But I, So my question for you is, of the 30-plus parades in Magic Kingdom, do you have one that was a personal favorite or attachment to? You know, I, I should say Share the Dream come true because the beginning of it starts with actually a Walt Disney surrogate, you know, sketching away, drawing uh, Mickey Mouse. But uh, again, uh, my favorite, and it, it was my favorite, and maybe it was my favorite simply because I, I saw it first at, at, at Disneyland, was uh, Main Street Electrical Parade. I was hoping, I, you know, I want to give you a hug because that's what I was hoping. <laughs> and, and, you know, I, I love the music in it, and it just seems very magical to me and and uh, again the first time I saw it I thought oh my gosh how clever because it, uh, on, on something like the Elliot uh, uh, float you know you turn out all the lights and it was like Elliot just disappeared you know and and so it, it was so simple it was of course inspired by the uh, electrical water pageant that was out here because the Seven Seas Lagoon was so dark you needed to have some type of a a backdrop for the luau and you also needed to have some way of of finishing that off as opposed to okay the luau's over we're turning off the lights everything is dead pitch black so so you had that out there and then they they found that the uh, electrical water pageant uh, was very effective because they now do it right after the fireworks so all of those people are trying to cram onto the ferry at the magic kingdom or uh, up to the monorail or whatever, look out on the lake. Oh, look at that. Oh, true. That's so nice. And, and again, that's just two-dimensional. And when the uh, Main Street Electrical Parade started at Disneyland, they tried to do it exactly the same way, two-dimensional, and they blew out all the power. So they had to, to have uh, separate generators on, on each float. But, but yes, and, and so, you know, I, I, I had a friend uh, who was out here visiting and said, Oh well, it's so sad. The Main Street uh, Electrical Parade is, is is now gone. And I said, for now, I said it's the Disney Vampire Parade because you try to kill it and it keeps coming back. And you try and kill it and it shows up at a different park. And you try to kill it and it shows up again. Um, you know, and Disney has never, I think, successfully um, duplicated. Spectral Magic was supposed to be. Oh well, this this is going to be so much more uh, uh, elaborate. And I know that Spectro Magic has its huge fans and, and, and feel that it's so much better than Main Street. For me personally, not so much. I think some of it is the music, and I love John Debney's music, but the music for the parade is done in a waltz time. And, and to me, I, I want a little perkier for that. And again, you mentioned the Spectro men with the white faces, which were kind of scary, but again, the purpose of that was supposed to be, well, you project your own emotion onto the face, and, and the white faces would reflect, you know, the colors from the floats. It's like, no, that didn't work for me. <laughs> but, but, but again, it, it, it was amazing. You know, you had the uh, Chernabog float, which was uh, uh, the mountain, and then it, it opened up into Chernabog. Uh, uh, truly amazing. And Jiminy Cricket, one of my favorite characters, and, and he originally was the... Uh, uh, the host uh, uh, of the parade. And again, this is the first parade that had a Little Mermaid float. So we're talking 91. And so Little Mermaid is a brand new film. So this is the first Little Mermaid 
uh, uh, float. So, you know, there's a lot uh, to recommend it. But uh, again, to me, Main Street, uh, uh, I, I hear that Baroque hoedown and it just stirs up all of these emotions and, and these memories. And, and yes, it may look a little archaic. It may look a little hokey. And yes, I'm, I'm one of those people who got suckered into buying a $25 light bulb from the float because it was glowing away forever. I, but I'm glad it didn't. So I, I don't, uh, I, I don't uh, uh, beat myself up over spending the 25 bucks for that bulb. I agree with everything that you said, uh, except it being archaic and hokey, yeah. because that's some of the things that I love about it. Right? It, you're right. It's the parade that couldn't die. It ran from ninety. It ran from eighty-seven to ninety-one, ninety-nine to two thousand one, and then from two thousand ten to twenty sixteen. And that's just out in. That's Walt just here, World. right? Yeah. That's just here. Um, but there's actually a lot of things that were unique about that parade. One of which is, it didn't only play in Walt Disney World and Disneyland, but it's actually played outside the park. I count three times. I might okay. be missing. So uh, it was halftime at the Orange Bowl in 78. Mm-hmm. Um, in 77, it appeared at the premiere of Pete's Dragon mm-hmm. in New York City because the premiere was over at uh, Radio City Music Hall. And then in 97, for the opening of the new Amsterdam Theater, um, it, it came to New York again for the opening of the film Hercules, correct? Absolutely. To the best of my knowledge, yeah. And in fact, that's where the uh, Elliot the Dragon uh, uh, float was added to it. It wasn't always there. It was, uh, again, for the premiere of that film. And uh, what was sad in later years was uh, being on the street and watching this and seeing parents trying to desperately explain to their kids who that dragon was up there and why a kid was sitting on top of it. And look, I think it's... um I think it's quintessential. It's classic Disney. And when I was doing my research, there was a, an interesting story that I found that when Disney brought the parade onto Broadway uh, for the opening of um, Hercules, they were able to get all of the other theaters in the area to turn off their lights. So the only thing that you saw, much like you see on Main Street, was the parade. And only one store, only one place refused to turn their lights off. And it was the Warner Brothers Studio Store. <laughs> maybe it's a coincidence, maybe not. The store went out of business not long after that, so be careful who uh, who you mess with. And look, there's so much I like about it, from the characters to the music to the incorporation of America in that last flow. It sort of harkens back to Walt's patriotism and the America on parade. Um, we were talking about the technology before and the music. It brought a, a, in a new technology to the parks where they have that uh, puck system on the grounds yes. and sort of breaking the parade areas into different zones and, and triggering the music. So you're, everybody, no matter where you are, is getting that same type of experience and the music is appropriate to what you're seeing in front of you. Absolutely. Ab- absolutely. And, and uh, you're right. That, that puck system was a, a tremendous innovation, which, which again, is still used... Uh, uh, today for for that to, to happen, but uh, yes, Main Street Electrical Parade probably my favorite, or certainly in the top three. Yeah, uh, and I think we're going to a place where one of these parades might be vying for one of those top positions. Let's move over to Epcot Center um, because this did not have, you know, despite what your memory might tell you to the contrary, Epcot did not have. Everyone, 
1982 was a very different Epcot than it was in the mid-90s and beyond. So it wasn't until the late 90s that Epcot got their own um, daily parade, save for um, a parade that most people probably don't remember was the inauguration of Ronald Reagan had his inauguration date, and I love that, that he has an inauguration parade in uh, in Epcot Center. And uh, and another, and, and again, I don't know if you can officially call that a parade, because again, it's a, a one-time, one-day thing. Another parade which probably doesn't officially get credited as a parade is when they had the uh, uh, Daredevil Circus oh, Spectacular, yeah, yeah. and they had to uh, march out the elephants, and again, cr- clowns <laughs> and acrobats and all this. Um, from uh, that area between UK and Canada, and they had to to walk it down part of that promenade over to the uh, uh, fountain. But I, I wouldn't consider that an official uh, parade. And again, with Epcot, you're having that difficulty because you're talking about over 300 acres, and so that's twice the size of Disneyland. So it's the size of two theme parks, literally. And just to go around... Um, the World Showcase Promenade, you're talking about uh, 1.3 miles, which is a long, That's a, long parade. T- a long parade. So, you know, when the parade is starting at one end, it's going to be quite a while before it gets, you know, to the other end. And again, it's just so huge and there really isn't a, 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 a horizon line. And so if you had a standard parade, a standard size parade, it would just get lost uh, in in all of that, it, it wouldn't stand out, and you wouldn't be able uh, uh, to see it across the lagoon. And that that was uh, part of the thing with Tapestry of Nations as well. Is they wanted a parade that was large enough that you could see it across the lagoon. You know, uh, so this had to be uh, huge. So one of the first proposals was for Caravan of the Giants. You know, and um, Gary Pabin, who was the uh, show producer, show director. Uh, said, no, we need to have something that's more uh, uh, Millennium-centric. Uh, uh, and so uh, the placeholder name was Millennium 2000 and then Earth 2000. And then, interestingly enough, they had a suggestion of Tapestry of Dreams. And they, they said that still doesn't tie in with um, uh, the World Showcase, so we'll do Tapestry of Nations. And, and Pabin said, what we're trying to do there is a, a tapestry is made up of uh, individual threads. There's a diversity, and that's what we're trying to do too. Is one thread is not more important than an, than an, than the other, but when you combine them together, it creates that image of compassion and love and and unity for that to happen. And then to solve the problem of boy, this is a long parade because again, you want people. Not to block access to the promenade. I, I, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but I've done it more than once where I've had to sit there impatiently while the bridge by China, <laughs> you know, finally comes down, you know, after you get the uh, stuff out onto the lagoon there. And so they had three separate units uh, stepping off at three different places on, on the uh, World Showcase promenade. So uh, again, uh, you have to be very careful when you, you say facts about the, the parade because the facts are misleading. So if you say, yes, there were 15 drum units with 30 drummers, yes, that's true, but there were only five drums and 10 drummers in each section. 
You know, when you say, yes, Michael Curry came up with 120 uh, puppets, actually it was 40 puppets, but 40 pu- uh, that he had to duplicate, you know, a, a, another two times uh, for that uh, to go over there. But again, that was, that was very clever because, uh, again, people didn't have to wait. Uh, these things were overpowering. And then the great thing about the Curry puppets, because he also did the uh, puppets for uh, Broadway's Lion King, is you could see the puppeteer. So you're reacting to the puppeteer and to the puppet, and it's that type of puppet that if the puppeteer moves his leg, then the puppet moves its leg. Did he do the ones for Legend of the Lion King 2 in Magic Kingdom? Yes. So, yeah, and and uh, uh, also, uh, uh, I believe, for the, the uh, Finding, Finding Nemo uh, at, at Animal Kingdom uh, as well. And so... For Tapestry of Nations, he's coming up with... And again, Tapestry of Nations, because again, this is for the millennium, uh, symbolizes time. So so it's introduced by the sage of time, who, who's on these 11-foot stilts, heaven help him. And then on top of his head, he has a mask even on top of his head, which is the sun, because the sun is used to, to tell uh, time. I don't know if people... Look uh, closely at the, those uh, drum units, but if you look at the hubcaps on the wheels, there's a sun and there's a moon. Because you, and actually on the port side of the clock, the clock hand is moving forward, and on the starboard side, the clock hand is moving backwards because you're trying to, to, to symbolize, you know, uh, time and uh, time is fluid uh, 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 for all of this uh, to happen. So you're it's interesting too that even though we're talking about yes we're we're it's diversity and we're incorporating all these different uh, cultures and all these different methods of uh, uh, telling time and, and all of that that uh, especially with the puppets none of them were uh, specific to any particular culture or, or land you know so 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 they weren't uh, uh, Asian or they weren't African or or Native American or, or, or whatever. They, they were just sort of this uh, blend of, of color and, uh, and oddness. <laughs> well, and and we'll, we'll talk about the music because that's one of the things I remember most. And I still, I, I have this on my, uh, on my phone and I, and I love this parade music. But it was so incredibly unique in terms of not just story, but of the characters, the performers, the floats. Those millennium clocks were huge. The, the performers and the puppets themselves were not it was not a cavalcade of Disney characters there was Aztec Man and Bird Man and Disc Man not like the Sony <laughs> Disc Man um, the, the Sprite they were all these very unique creations that and I remember the parade would not often but when it would get windy they'd have to call the parade because they were so high and they were so yeah. you know they had these long sort of tapestries in between that if it was too windy they actually couldn't perform right you, you'd be you'd be blown away you could you couldn't uh, coordinate and and again uh, these things are about uh, what 18 feet high or uh, uh, whatever and you're incorporating and again people love that and 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 the the kids loved it too to come out and 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 interact with these characters and and as i said earlier I think this is the first successful Disney uh, parade that didn't have any Disney characters in it. So you're not having Mickey Mouse or Goofy or Roger Rabbit. Um, and again, you're having the uh, Millennium Clocks 
and you have those drummers, and that creates a uh, heartbeat uh, uh, sound, and that also, you know, uh, stirs you up I- emotionally. And and you're right, the the music uh, by uh, Gavin Greenway, who also then did the music for. Um, the new uh, illuminations, reflections of Earth, and so one just blends right into the, the other, and uh, also you're having this uh, this parade tapestry of nations go on uh, uh, twice a night. Uh, once uh, and again, it's like they say about Pandora: you should see it in the day, and then you should go back and see it at night. Uh, that was the same thing with with this parade: that at night you, you have these reflections, you have these lights, and so so it's a different experience. And I remember you, you mentioned that that Millennium Heartbeat was something that carried over through the entire parade. And I, I love the music and the celebrate the future hand in hand. This is one of the, the uh, not just visually one of the things that stuck with me, but in terms of pieces of music like main, like Baroque Hoedown is one of the things that um, is still one of my favorites. And fun fact, was recorded at Abbey Road. I did not know that. Come on, yes, you did. You had to. You know everything, Jim Corcus. <laughs> I always love coming on a Lou Mangello show because you always find out things. Because nobody can know uh, everything, especially about Disney. In fact, I always use that that phrase because that's what uh, uh, Disney archivist uh, Dave Smith uh, told me when when I was so excited, I came up with something that he didn't know, and I shared it. And his reaction was, nobody can know everything, <laughs> especially about Disney. I remember, too, and I think I, I don't think I put this up on eBay yet. The, so the, I still have my compact disc of the parade music because other than Finding Nemo the Musical, I, was never, I never found myself compelled to hear something and then go buy the soundtrack for it. But I remember, too, that they used to sell... Um, one of the souvenirs they sold were drums. So you could actually buy your drum and take it home or go out and be sort of on the side, sort of drumming along as you were watching the parade itself. And drive people crazy. Drive people. I'm sure my parents were thrilled to get me drumming in the back of the station wagon all the way back to uh, New Jersey. See, and it, it's surprising to me that those were the only CDs you were compelled to buy because the first time I saw Fantasmic, I was compelled to buy the, the CD of that music. And uh, I would... I would play it in my car and that was extremely dangerous because sometimes I would drive the car to the rhythm of the music that that that, w- that was going on there. And then for those of you who are saying, wait a minute, I, I saw this parade but it wasn't called um, Tapestry of Nations, it was called Tapestry of Dreams. You're right because when the millennium celebration ended, they're like, we've got a win on our hands, we spent a lot of, we're going to keep this thing going. So the Sage of Time now became the Dream Seeker, mm-hmm. and one of the things that they added to the performance were these giant butterfly nets, and they encouraged kids to write down their dreams and then put them into the nets during the parade, and this parade ran about three and a half, four years or so. Yes, and um, yeah, Sage of Time seemed to be a little intimidating for people, so even when Tapestry of Nations was going on, they rewrote his... Um, narration at, at least twice, maybe maybe three times. I remember when he's like, the great millennium <laughs> walk. Behold, the great millennium walk. 
Like I loved it, and it was kind of scary at the same time. Yes, and and so now you have the these dream seekers who are much more more friendly. You, you've got Elfin, you know, for the magic and all that. You have uh, Leonardo, who's Discovery, and you have Cosmos, which is. Uh, uh, the universe, infinity, all of that. And you're right, they have these big nets. And kids were encouraged to go um, uh, to KidCot because for Tapestry of Nations, they were able to make um, masks, which they could wear during the parade. So they felt like they were part of the parade. Uh, for this, they got um, an 11-pointed star because there's 11 uh, uh, nations on, on the promenade there. And then there was, I think, like a medallion or something in the center that you popped out and yes you wrote your wish on and then you could uh, uh, put it in there and so yes so the tapestry of dreams is all about the the dreams of children and uh, sometimes the nets and sometimes the the floats had little bells and chimes that uh, as an audience uh, you could go out and you, you could tap these and all that uh, you know uh, to hopefully encourage that your dream uh, would come true and in fact the opening narration for the parade, you had voices of kids of, you know, uh, I, want to, I want to be an astronaut. I want to invent a time machine. I want, you know, uh, all of that. And, uh, but again, you know, you can't catch lightning in a bottle twice. And, and that's what they found with redoing the, this parade is that it wasn't as big a guest uh, satisfier and wow as, as the previous but, but again, it, it gave a great... And again, you're talking... Uh, I, I remember Gary Pabin uh, telling me, because I was working at Epcot when uh, Tapestry of Nations premiered, and I, I, I was interviewing him, and he used this phrase, which I remember, uh, is I said, oh, you know, because again, that first year too, they, uh, they took up Tapestry of Nations to uh, the Super Bowl for halftime. And Disney was spending like $50 million on, on promotion, you know, billboards and advertisement here and overseas to, to get people to come to Epcot for the millennium because uh, after Animal Kingdom opened, Epcot's attendance dropped 5%. And so they were, they were hoping that, well, the 25th at Magic Kingdom, they, that shot up attendance. Hopefully, you know, this will shoot up attendance at Epcot. And they, they were absolutely uh, right. But I was talking about Gary about some of the things that were being done, and he used the phrase, which I remember to this day, uh, that when you work for Disney, you always have to balance financial responsibility with creative intent. <laughs> and so, or, or, or as Disney likes to say these days, cost efficient. And so it, it was no longer cost efficient to have, you know, three separate units doing a parade if you're only getting a so-so reaction from, from your audience. I mean, there was no second incarnation of yeah. Journey to Imagination bad, but yeah. I, I get it. And, and I want, do want to mention one other parade that was in World Show, because that was very short-lived known simply as the World Showcase Parade. And the thing that I remember about this was the theme song, There's No Place Like World Showplay. And I almost started to sing it, and then I remembered we were recording, but that's one of those um, early 80s theme songs that is sort of that earworm that gets stuck in your head. Again, written by the uh, Sherman Brothers, you know. Uh, and, and in fact... Uh, uh, Richard Sherman's got a brand new uh, book out called uh, A Kiss Goodnight, illustrated by Floyd Norman. And um, two, two terrific people, two terrific people. And I think they used that song in Skylidoscope, which was, wasn't a parade. It was that it, uh, relatively short-lived 
water and air show yeah. um, than no place like World Showcase. And 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 that should probably be another podcast. <laughs> Just some of the shows that yeah. uh, because besides the lost shows of Epcot, <laughs> and you know, again, not everybody saw the Daredevil Circus spectacular, spectacular or there was surprise in the skies. There there, there was that um, uh, one show over by the fountain where they had this. Uh, 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 mechanical uh, dragon that, that came up at. at I remember at, the tightrope walker. Yeah. Um, in in Future World. Yeah, you know, but we're really old. You know that. <laughs> All right, so let's move over to. It'll always be the Disney MGM Studios yes. for me. Where here too, there's probably a lot more parades than you think. You're like, oh, I know the Star Wars parades. I, re-, but here. They had an opportunity, which they leveraged, to create unique parades based on films, based on some of the IP. So while there were things about Disney Channel rocking and the Hollywood holidays, you had Pixar Pals Countdown to Fun, the hardest working (laughs) cast members anywhere, the Block Party Bash. And the ones that I remember were the ones that were themed towards film. So the Mulan Parade... The Hercules Zero to Hero Parade, which I loved because of the music. The Toy Story Parade. The Aladdin's Royal Caravan Parade. Dinosaurs Live. And the oft-forgotten, this is not one of my favorites, but I have to mention anyway, the Father's Day Home Improvement Power Parade. Oh, I don't remember that one at all. But And again, I guess a um, uh, an argument could be made that uh, you know, when the uh, studio opened, they would have the star of the day in a motor car who, that would come down Hollywood Boulevard. So I, I guess that would constitute a parade. But to me, that's really not a parade. But again, that spun off later into uh, Disney stars and, and motor cars uh, uh, parade. But yeah, the, the first parade I remember seeing at, um, uh, and again, yes, to me, it'll always be Disney MGM Studios was Dinosaurs Live, which really wasn't a, a parade as such. You, ha- you had this uh, uh, two-story float, and on the top float you had uh, the Sinclair family because uh, Dinosaurs was on ABC TV, and it, it, it was very popular. And again, uh, you have these uh, uh, puppet characters from uh, the Jim Henson Creature Shop uh, using audio-animatronics on uh, on their faces uh, developed by Brian Henson and this was 19 had to be 1991 because it was part of the surprise celebration because Sinclair family was the surprise family of the day and uh, they're up here visiting and, and, and the the grandmother wants to go to the universe of energy to visit the dinosaurs and all, all of this and so uh, they also had a second float which was this huge camera crane with the director on it and supposedly they're filming the surprise family of the day. And so they do this in front of uh, the Chinese theater and do, do some gags. And then they start the music. And then this float is moving down um, Hollywood Boulevard. And the music they're playing is Walk the Dinosaur. <laughs> Open the door, get on the floor, everybody walk the dinosaur. But to me... Uh, when I saw this in 91, the thing that I was most excited about was on the first level is you have these beautiful, beautiful female Disney dancers, and they're in these cave women jungle outfits, <laughs> <coughs> and they're dancing. 
And what is so sad is in preparation uh, for this podcast, I pulled up YouTube. YouTube has like about four or five videos of this. And I thought, oh, well, this is great. This will bring back... Nobody filmed those cavewoman dancers. They're all filming the dinosaurs for crying. You know, not the mommy. You know, not the, you know, what? What is this? Show me the. Show me these. Because I, I remember that was so cool. But um, that lasted briefly, maybe about a year, maybe less, and then was replaced by Aladdin, which is again one of my favorites. At 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 Walt Disney World, and again, you had the genie appear in in several ways. He's a He's the band leaner genie at the beginning of the parade, and then you have a 32-foot inflatable uh, genie balloon, and then you have a genie in a bathtub on, on the back of a camel and all of this. And this is the first parade where Disney used um, lightweight um, inflatable costumes, like for the uh, acrobats, where you have acrobats piled on top of each other. Uh, that's a parade performer wearing a, that lightweight uh, sort of inflatable so you have several figures. You have uh, uh, female dancing harem car- camels. And speaking of camels, the high point of the parade for me, and apparently it was for other people because it survived long after the parade, were the two gold camels that would turn their heads and spit. I don't know <laughs> what it is about being spit on in a Disney park. Uh, I, I know that in... in uh, Honey, I Shrunk the Audience, people loved having the dog come out and sneeze on them. You know, in real life, you wouldn't want that, but, it, but this was great. But the spitting camels were, were so wonderful, and they, then they got moved out in front of the uh, uh, soundstage theater, and then later over to the uh, magic carpets at, at, at the uh, Magic Kingdom there. And then at the end, you have uh, Abu as, as the big, huge elephant, and on his back is the magic carpet, and and uh, Jasmine and uh, uh, Aladdin is Prince Ali. And then you, you talk about music. It's, it's just that, that music of Prince Ali, da-da-da-da. You know, and, and it's like, yes, we're part of Agrabar, and, and we're seeing all of this. And it, and it was just, you know, the fun, sword, sword uh, twirlers and, and, and all of this. You, you remember that parade, right? And what I, what I love about this parade, and again, it, it ushered in a series of... You know, Toy Story, Mulan, The Zero to Hero, which I think was my favorite of, of these four. It ushered in a new type of parade which, where it was not an amalgam of different songs or, or new songs and different characters. These films that we had come to love sort of came to life. And the music was familiar and the characters were familiar. And it was all the things that we loved about to, the films brought to us like the attractions did for Disneyland the first time, it brought them to us, you know, in three dimension right in front of us. For me, the, the Zero to Hero parade was uh, one of my favorites. Um, I remember they selected, and because I was never selected, the, the a Theban family of the day. So it was sort of like they had their mm-hmm. own grand marshal to it. They had the big inflatable <laughs> cyclops and, and other things like that, too. But I love the music from Hercules. I think um, especially the gospel choir and some of the things. And so that is one for me. I remember being uh, very cartoonish in terms of uh, how big they were and sort of the, 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 the drawings of some of the, um, the Greek symbols and things like that. But I love, love, love the music from this parade. I, I, I'm with you. And in fact, I love the film. I think the film is very underrated and 
I think it'll be rediscovered in years. It, I find it funny. I find it, it clever. Uh, I love the story. I love the characters. And yes, uh, it, it was like they took Aladdin and then, you know, when they did Mulan and then they they did uh, the Hercules Parade here, although I think the Hercules Parade was much more effective than Mulan. I don't know whether it's because of the music or, or the characters, but th- that same same style, and I think, you know, they just nailed it. it. And again, it was just so much fun, you know, and, and uh, again, it, it, it brought back so many memories from the, from the film as well. Well, the thing I remember at the Mulan Parade was, again, some of the floats were, you know, so big, like the giant Shan Yu. Mm-hmm. But I loved how they had, and it might have been the float that immediately follows it, they had some of the uh, military guys in their female costumes. Mm-hmm. So I love the fact that they extracted something that was so fun and memorable about the film and brought it into the parade as well. And and, and I'm, I'm with you. I, I think uh, Shan Yu should have been a... Uh, uh, a bigger exclamation mark in that parade th- than he, he was and I think it was because he, he's tied to the the fireworks and, and, and all of this and, and so it should work but for some reason it just doesn't whereas when you see Hades in the Hercules parade you just go insane you just go crazy but I think the, the thing that Mulan had that was memorable about it was I believe it was the final float they had the dragon, which was 130, 150 feet long, that had the great wall on top of it and performers on top. And to me, that not only connected it to the film, but I felt that there was a bit of, of a, a historical, cultural aspect to it. Because you'll see parades in, you know, for Chinese New Year's of those same type of dragons. And I like the fact that they incorporated that into the parade here as well. And, you know, a lot of people don't realize that the uh, China Pavilion at Epcot is so authentic that artists who were working uh, on that actually went over and and did sketching in the China Pavilion. And that's also where uh, Christina Aguilera did her music Hmm. uh, video back in the days before we didn't know who Christina Aguilera (laughs) really was. you know, over in in that pavilion. But again, uh, Mulan was is still a good parade. I I enjoyed it. But when we're talking about our top parades, uh, for me, Aladdin, you know, that that was a slam dunk, and and Hercules uh, as, as well. I'd love to see those. Come I was back. Asking, Would you love to see? Um, I, I don't want to call them IP, but film specific parades come back. I would like to see come back. The cave women dancers from Dinosaurs Live. <laughs> you laugh, but you know, I, I was interviewing um, Bill Evans, who is the, the landscaper for both Disneyland and Walt Disney World. And uh, in, in those days, I was a lot younger and a lot more serious. And, and, and I said, What do you miss most about Disneyland? Because I know it's gone through so many uh, changes. And he goes, The mermaids. They were so cute. He says, you can't believe how... And having them wiggle out of the water. He's Back at right in Disneyland when they had live mermaids. Yes. I was like going to Wiki Watch It. You had, you had live mermaids there. Yeah. Uh, all right, let's finally go over to the park, which is probably not the one that you think about when you think of parades. But here, too, there were two, plus a holiday-themed version, parades. I think a lot of us are familiar with the Jam and Jungle Parade, which ran for a long time. Mm-hmm. That ran for about 13, 14 years or so. Even a Christmas version. Right. So uh, the, the Jingle, Jingle Jungle, Jungle Parade, which was nice because Animal Kingdom in the winter is much better than Animal Kingdom <laughs> in the summer in terms of weather. 
But the um, one of the ones that people might not remember, which again was unique to this park for a lot of reasons, was the March of the Artimals. You mentioned it earlier. I know. And, and again, you know, this is also one of those cases of what is Disney thinking? You know, you, you, you think, oh, well, they've been doing this so long, they've got this all figured out. And when it comes to Animal Kingdom, you do not have uh, a dedicated parade path. And, and that's because, again, Joe Rody w- was looking to create, you know, this sense of discovery so that you go in there and, and you don't know what, what you're doing, you know, uh, especially after you go through the, uh, uh, the turnstiles and you go in there, you know, do I go right? Do I go left? And where's this? And there d- doesn't seem to be signs. I don't see a, a weenie. All that. You know, that really frustrated guests. So later they had to widen those pathways. But, but the same thing in the park is these are narrow and curvy. And so this is really not designed for a parade float. So you, so you have a challenge. I, I don't think um, a lot of people realize that Rivers of the Night was intended to be a parade. It was supposed to be a nighttime parade. And uh, it never developed because the pathways are so narrow, even during the day, to maneuver through that, that at night, this would have been a nightmare for that to happen. And so uh, you want to do something for Animal Kingdom, but you want to do something organic. You want to do something that's respectful to animals. Um, And again, you're moving away from Disney characters. You know, originally... There were going to be no Disney characters in the park, and then finally, they, they at the last moment, they do the Mickey Mini uh, campground there. Um, so March of the Artimals, and it, in fact, for the first two months, I think it was March, March of the, the Animals. animals yeah. yeah, March of the Artimals made more sense. Is you had these figures, and you had these uh, sort of little mini homemade floats and all this, <laughs> and it looked like a bunch of artists had gotten together. And they had designed costumes, they had designed floats, which was their um, interpretation, their tribute uh, to animals. But I, I think it only lasted a year, didn't it? Or Yeah, and, and I understand that they wanted to do something different. They wanted to do something... Um, Arty. Right, and it, it was very... Artistic, right? <laughs> uh, it was meant to be intimate, it was meant to be small, it was meant to be interpretive um, but I think people just didn't get it Um, I I think there was nothing that was necessarily an attractor to that I think maybe your analogy that it seemed like a bunch of artists got together created their interpretive sort of there was even interpretive language because there were some characters that were using sort of this own gibberish right and nobody got what they were trying to do or express Um, they did have some songs in there that were recognizable but it wasn't songs like from Disney movies or Disney parks. It was the Itsy Bitsy Spider and Three Little Fishies and uh, La Cucaracha. So they were all animal related, but uh, I think there was probably a little bit of a, or a lot of bit of a disconnect. Absolutely. And in fact, I always remember what uh, John Hench told me. He said that Walt talked to him one time and said, John, if the guests aren't getting what we're doing, it's not the guests' fault. It's our fault. We're not communicating effectively. And and so, again, it was replaced with, as you pointed out... Want me to wait for that? Okay. Uh, okay. Um, as you pointed out earlier, uh, the uh, 
the Jammin' Parade, the Jungle Jammin' Parade, much more successful because, again, now you have Disney characters. And, and again, how do you justify Disney characters in the park? You know, so in the beginning, there were no characters at Epcot because the Disney characters lived in the Magic Kingdom. And when uh, Michael Eisner says we're putting a stop to that, um, the Imagineers had to come up with the concept that, well, the Disney characters are in Epcot because they're on vacation visiting their friends. So that's why there's that double-decker bus with the suitcases along the side, and they're seeing Snow White in Germany and uh, Alice in, in the U.K., whatever. And then at the studios, that's where they work. So that's why the characters would be there. Now, at Animal Kingdom, they're on safari. And so that's the premise of the parade, is the characters are on their jungle expedition safari. So they have jeeps, which again are more maneuverable, but the the jeeps are now character-themed, you know, as you go through there and you you have those floats. And as we talked about, uh, eventually for the Christmas season, they... uh, uh, did a, a quick overlay uh, for that, you know, to, to get through the park. And that was very effective. But again, after a while, it's same old, same old. And uh, even though statistically uh, most people only come and visit uh, Disney every three to four years, it had been there long enough that people said, oh, yeah, been there, done that, seen that. And uh, also with the. Uh, new building that was going on over there at Animal Kingdom, uh, having the parade just added uh, an additional challenge. So some of the things I remember about that I think are notable about the the Animal Kingdom parade was going back to March of the Artimals, um, again, there were a lot of animals. The animals were the stars of that parade. They were playing instruments. Uh, I remember a lion playing a xylophone (laughs) made out of animal-like his prey, he used the bones yeah. to create his xylophone. But for the Jingle Jungle, the Jammin' Jungle Parade, there were two things that I, I liked about it. One was that they kept to the mission and, and message of Animal Kingdom. They had a lot of native artisans from Africa create the, uh, the, the puppeteer costumes. Um, and while they also incorporated Disney characters, they also incorporated guests. Um, a lot of, I think there was, they said, uh, 20 or so guests were part of the parade every day. Still a little frustrated, little Jimmy Corcus, that I've never been a Grand Marshal. But I like the fact that, you know, you want to talk about creating a special memory. The thing that the family's going to take home with them was, we were part of this parade in Animal Kingdom. I think we're going to get together all of your friends. We're going to have uh, T-shirts made up with a finger pointing and say, pick him. And when the parade comes by, any parade, we're going to surround you. So all of these people in shirts with fingers pointing to Lou say, pick Lou. It's a lot of pressure. <laughs> but, uh, and, and I think we're going to see that more and more is, uh, and, and we've seen that over the, over the years, is Disney is trying to incorporate more of um, interaction. Uh, with the parades, and and maybe we'll start to see that with phone apps. Maybe we'll start to see that with uh, the magic bands. Uh, you know, uh, that will react with with things that are uh, 
uh, there, so that when Cinderella waves at, 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 at you, your magic band lights up, so you know that Cinderella really was looking she at you. She can text me her phone number one. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, overall, you know, I, I, I think, or I hope, that the listeners can hear uh, the excitement we have uh, about these parades, and, and I think uh, it, it's something very much in keeping with Walt's philosophy that that children of all ages, you know, get something uh, from that experience and, and, and something that they uh, uh, can remember and treasure and, as cliche as it sounds, that, that magical memory to, to take with them. And, you know, even as, as we're talking about this, I, I still can't get some of the images of um, uh, Main Street Electrical Parade out of my... My mind, and I know how it works. I've been backstage. I've seen the costumes. I've tried on a costume. I, I know how heavy the battery pack is. I know, you know, all of the things that, that could go go wrong and, and uh, all of that. But, but I also know that during the day, uh, Disney had people go through and check every single light on, on, on the float for that. But, but again, that, that's, it, it really is... When Disney does magic right, they really do it right. And now the Festival of Fantasy Parade has been running since uh, early 2014. I think that is um, the continuing evolution of parades in terms of size, in terms of grandeur, in terms of the kinetic elements that they add to it. I love the Peter Pan float. I Obviously, the, the dragon is remarkable. Um, still, for me, like you... Uh, I remember Tapestry of Nations and Dreams. I remember the music, but I have a special place in my little nostalgic heart for um, the Main Street Electrical Parade. And I will tell you, on a personal level, as a result of this show, forget it being life-changing on so many levels and and the the ability to do what I do, but um, what I've been able to experience and the people I've been able to meet, like you, Jimmy Corcus, and you, my friend who's listening... Um, who's my friend, if we haven't met yet, one of the neatest things I ever got to do as a fan was to go backstage to where they sage the Main Street Electrical Parade floats, and I got to sit in the bumblebee. Ooh. And they closed the door on the bumblebee, and I spun the bumblebee around. And, and I, I actually have it on video. I'm gonna, I'll am gonna link the video in the show notes if I remember what I called it. But little, like, seven-year-old Lou Mangello, like, my heart just sang when I did that because I, I was able to touch and be a part of something that was such a great memory for me. It continued to be special for me when it came back and still to this day will always hold a special place in my heart. But I want to know from you, my friend, the listener, what is your or was your favorite parade in Walt Disney World? Whether it's a current parade or a lost parade, you can email, you can go to the show notes at www.radio.com, click on this week's podcast, go to facebook.com slash Click on this week's show there. Leave your comments there. Better yet, call the voicemail at 407-900-9391. Let me hear the passion and the memory in your voice of what your favorite parade memory was. And when you're done with all that, I want you to go to the show notes because there I'm going to have a link to Amazon where you can find not one, not two, but all 14, 15, how many Jimmy Corcus? 20. Stop it, Jimmy Corcus. 20 You are a machine. (laughs) You are a machine. I won't ask you your favorite book like your favorite parade because they're all good. My favorite book is the next one. (laughs) One that that I'm working on right now that will come out this fall. 
and I'm playing hooky, spending time with you. And now I feel badly about it because I'm so jealous because I got to sit in the bumblebee, but they never closed the door, <laughs> never let me spun around. And I was so impressed by how fragile yeah. that really was. And it looked so solid yeah. uh, out there. And durable and the elements yeah. and everything else like that. It's, um, there is truly something. We use the word Disney magic a lot. And I think there's still something a little bit magical about these parades. There's always something magical about you, Jimmy Corcus. That's why we've been friends as long as these parades have been going on, it seems, uh, for such a long time. I'm so grateful to you and for you for sharing your wisdom and your knowledge, and nobody can tell a story the way you do. So it is always a, a privilege and a pleasure and an honor to have you here. And, and thanks for the lunch. Thanks. There's no such thing as a free lunch. I have to pay for it by doing the podcast. And, and thanks for the conversation. Thanks for this opportunity to, to share, you know, um, some of uh, an old man's memories with, uh, with these listeners out there. And like Lou, I'm looking forward to hearing your memories and, and, because I learned from that uh, as well. And I learned from Lou as well. And uh, I... Take care of yourselves because you never know what's going to happen. Enjoy every single moment of your life. And I think we should go enjoy some moments of our lives with a little bit of dessert. Uh, And we will definitely do this again. I know you've got more stories to tell and great things to come in the future. So thank you, little Jimmy Corcus, and I will uh, see you at the 3 o'clock parade. And if I don't see you in the future, I'll see you in the pasture. (laughs) So (laughs) we need to do this more often, Lou. Thank you so much. for our Walt Disney World Trivia Question of the Week, where I invite you to test your knowledge of Walt Disney World history or see how well you pay attention to the details, sometimes in what you see, sometimes in what you hear. And if you think you know the answer, you can enter via our online forum for a chance to win a Disney prize package. Before we get to this week's question, we're going to go back, review last week's, and select our winner. So last week was all about the corny and sentimental and nostalgic things we love about Walt Disney World. And the Country Bear Jamboree was on my list. So I stuck with the corny and asked you to tell me who plays the corn jug in the Country Bear Jamboree. You've seen him do it. You've heard the song in the lyrics by Exitensio and that music by George Bruns. Because if you pay attention to the Bear Band Serenade, you know that Brother Ted is on the corn jug. Now, I mean that bear can blow. He also pays the washboard with the handle. You know the lyrics. Now that song is stuck in your head. Anyway, congratulations and thanks to all of you who entered. Got this one correct. I randomly selected one winner who's going to receive my 102 ways to save money for an at Walt Disney World book. All seven of my virtual audio tours of the Magic Kingdom, which, by the way, I've extended the sale. You can get any or all for $10 each if you go to the WW Radio shop. I'll extend that for a few more days. Why not? You also get a WW Radio Magic Band cover, some WW Radio stickers, and the exclusive WW Radio pop socket and holder for your phone. And last week's winner, randomly selected, is Amanda Calabrese. So, Amanda, congratulations. You use the online form, so I have your mailing address. 
I will get your prize package out to you right away. If you played last week and didn't win, that's okay. Put the past behind you, because here's your next chance to enter in this week's Walt Disney World Trivia Challenge. So we are talking about parades, and clearly the Main Street Electrical Parade is, once again, maybe a corny, nostalgic, sentimental favorite. And we know the song, we know Baroque Hoedown, and if you remember back, not too long ago, to how the parade began, I want you to tell me who provided the heavily modified and digitized voice that introduced the Main Street Electrical Parade with, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Walt Disney World proudly presents our spectacular festival pageant of nighttime magic and imagination in thousands of sparkling lights and electro-synthomagnetic musical sounds, the Main Street Electrical Parade. Who provided that voice? I'll give you a hint. You've heard it before. You have until Sunday, September 10th, to go to www.radio.com, click on this week's podcast, use the online form there. Once again, I'm going to send you the book, the tours, the Magic Band cover, the stickers, and a pop socket. And oh, I forgot last week, there was a mystery prize I promised. Amanda, you're going to get the mystery prize too. And since I forgot to announce it, I'll throw in another mystery prize this week. So good luck and have fun. I can remember all the facts about the parade and I can't remember to announce the mystery prize. That's going to do it for this week's show. Thank you once again so very much for spending and sharing some of your time with me. I sincerely appreciate you for that. Just a couple of quick announcements before we go. First, speaking of thanks, I want to thank some of the new members who joined all of you who are part of the WW Radio Nation family this month, including John C. Jones, John Maloney, Hal Cussler, Jamie Williams, Travis Carlson, and Ryan Pirtle. I really appreciate all the love and the help and the support and you and all the members of the WW Radio Nation really do a lot to help keep the show going. And if you want to not only help the show, but also it's a way for me to give you rewards every month, like monthly scavenger hunts. We have a private Facebook group. I'll send you personalized magic band covers, logo gear, t-shirts, back packages, back packages, really back packs care packages from Walt Disney World. I talk for a living. We do exclusive live video group calls every month and exclusive events as well. For more information, visit www.radio.com support. And don't forget that a portion of the proceeds of your contributions do go to the Dream Team Project to benefit the Make-A-Wish Foundation of America. In addition to the podcast, don't forget to visit the site at www.radio.com for our amazing team of blog writers, video content, our exclusive newsletter, and more. If you have a question you want me to answer on the show, you can email me, lou at www.radio.com, or be heard on the air, call the voicemail at 407-900-9391 with a question or a comment. You can connect with me on social. The Facebook page is facebook.com slash radio, and I am at Lou Mangiello on Twitter, Facebook, Pinterest, and Instagram. Of course, I believe that while connecting and communicating online is great, nothing beats a handshake and a hug. It's why I continue to do eight, nine years in a row now, monthly meetups in Walt Disney World. The next meetup is scheduled for Saturday, September 9th during the Food and Wine Festival at Epcot. However, Irma, the hurricane, might have something to say about that. So please stay tuned to Facebook and Twitter. I will post updates this week if and when the meet is going to go on. If not, I will reschedule after our Adventures by Disney next week where we go to China. Uh, We're going to go to Shanghai, Beijing, Hong Kong, and Japan. So please stay tuned to social as I'll be sharing as much as I can 
while I am out on the road. Speaking of on the road, also be sure and visit the events page on our Facebook page to find out about upcoming meets and events, not just in Walt Disney World, but on the road and as I travel, especially to speak, I try and do meetups when I do, uh, looking to schedule a couple of them in October, possibly in Phoenix and or Minneapolis, Minnesota. And if I could maybe help come to speak at your conference, to your business, at your event, or to your school, you can visit lumangelo.com. And if there's any way that maybe I can help you turn your passion into your profession with one-on-one mentoring or group coaching, or if you want to come to my Momentum event in October in Walt Disney World, there's about four or five seats left. You can find out more and details about all that over at lumangelo.com. Thanks, as always, to Mouse Fan Travel, my official and recommended travel provider. Whether you're going to World to see the, your favorite parade out to Disneyland, any Disney park around the world, or any destination, you can visit them over at mousefantravel.com. And, of course, go to celebrationspress.com and find out how you can get and subscribe to Celebrations Magazine. And finally, my friend, and you, I mean this from my heart, you are my friend, whether we have met yet or not, and all I ask is that if you like this show, please help spread the word. Let others know about it. That's how our WW Radio family and community will grow. Tweet out that you're listening to this episode. Share a link with your friends on Facebook or in your favorite group or page. And please, if you can, take 20, 30 seconds to rate and review the show over on iTunes. It's really, really helpful. I want to thank some recent reviewers like Am Gresh, who says it's the best show Ever in big bold letters says I stumbled upon the show about a year and a half ago I'm hooked I listen at least once every day whether it's in the car on a run or cleaning the house lose knowledgeable and a credible Disney resource and I never never listening to the show without learning something new and probably ending up hungry as well thanks for being awesome Lou thank you Amgresh uh, Rob Kellenberger says this is the best Disney podcast by far because food I love going to Disney World for a ton of reasons, but mainly the dining. Rob, we're instant friends. Lou does a great job reviewing restaurants and recommending great experiences. I really love his interviews with Disney legends as well. I tell everybody about the podcast. I highly recommend it. Thank you so much. And Patient957 says, love this podcast. Lou's enthusiasm is so infectious. Look forward to it every week. Patient 957, I look forward to doing this every week and spending and sharing it with you as well. If you visit www.radio.com slash iTunes, it'll show you exactly how to leave a review and take you over to iTunes as well. And finally, thank you once again. I wish I could figure out more ways and to, to express my gratitude to you and for you. You, by virtue of you listening, have changed my life and hopefully this podcast and some of the things that we do as a community um, have impacted you in a positive way as well. And if there's any way that I can help you maybe turn that thing that you love into what you do or anything at all, please reach out to me. And if there's something that you want to do, if there's something that you've been dreaming about doing or a leap of faith you've been thinking about taking, I want you to always remember this is that I understand and can appreciate the fear because I've been there and I'm still there all the time. And it's important that you remember all the time to let your fear of regret be greater than your fear of failure, right? So many leaps of faith that I have made and continue to make are based on fear. And I don't mean a fear of failing, but a fear that if I don't even try, I might look back on that decision or lack of decision with regret. So don't let fear be a deterrent to you. Instead, use that fear to your advantage. Let it be a catalyst to start, 
and a motivator to continue because you only fail when you quit and if you don't learn from your actions. And as a wise man once said, and I live by this every day, always keep moving forward. I hope that this is your best week ever. So until next time, thanks again. See ya. Hello, it's Luke Hempenstall here calling all the way from Down Under in Brisbane, Queensland in Australia. Uh, I hate to use the old radio caller cliche, but I am indeed a long-time listener, but a first-time caller to your voicemail. Uh, I have, however, had the honour of writing for the WDW radio blog a number of times, so I try to stay connected where I can. Uh, mate, I just wanted to throw in my two cents worth regarding items I collect on our family trips to Walt Disney World, which was the subject of your podcast, episode 491. And from what I can gather, um, it's not something that anyone else has mentioned yet, and that is baseballs. Um, I've been getting them since our very first trip to Walt Disney World on our honeymoon back in 2001, and we've gotten one on every trip since then, including the one trip we've managed to do so far to Disneyland and one on the Disney Cruise Line. Um, Each year, Disney release a number of themed baseballs, so I may buy more than one on a particular trip, uh, but I'll always try to make sure that at least one of them is an overall Walt Disney World themed baseball, and even better if it has the year on it, um, even though they don't always have the year. Um, I don't have many, maybe seven or so, uh, but as I love baseball and, and follow with passion the, each year the Major League Baseball in the US and the Australian Baseball League here in Australia, um, it's my special connection between my love of baseball and Walt Disney World. Uh, anyway, if I can find where to post a picture of them, I will maybe on, on your Facebook page. Um, I will, in fact, be looking for more baseballs this coming December uh, when my wife and I bring our four-year-old daughter over for her very first trip to Walt Disney World and for what will be for my wife and I, uh, our first trip back to Walt Disney World in six years, which is the longest break we've ever had between trips to Walt Disney World. Um, as you can imagine, getting over to the east coast of the US from Australia is a pretty big trip and certainly no bargain. So we wanted to wait until our daughter was uh, just old enough to enjoy it and hopefully remember some uh, some special times. Uh, she's been endlessly peppered with all things Disney since she was born, so we all can't wait. Uh, I will also endeavour to leave a hello from the Parks Voice Mile while we're there, which would, uh, which would be pretty cool. Anyway, Lou, um, I hope we can finally meet after all of these years at a, at a meet of the month while we're at Disney World in, uh, in early December. Uh, just a hint in case you haven't planned one yet. And that is, of course, if you're, if you're going to be around then. Uh, we can't wait to get back to our favourite place on the planet. Uh, take care, Lou, and thanks for allowing those of us who don't get to Walt Disney World very often to stay connected with, uh, with all that happens. Cheers, mate. Hey, Lou, this is Lindsay from Tennessee, actually calling you from San Francisco, California. I just wanted to tell you that I just finished visiting the Walt Disney Family Museum, and golly, you were so right. It is a must-do for every Disney enthusiast. I'm so glad you have done, I know at least one show, probably more, um, encouraging us all to go. Um, I loved it. To quote you, uh, my mouth was agape. I was getting choked up, um, and even not, I mean, even during the sad or during the happy part, too, not just the sad. So, anyway, I just wanted to say thank you so much for bringing that place to light. I had so much fun. It was so cool, and I encourage everyone to go. Thanks for everything you do, Lou. Hope to see you soon. Bye. Hey, Lou Mangello. This is Christine Morrison calling you from Flower Town, Pennsylvania. I'm running through all past podcasts, and I'm listening to the one where you talk about extinct things. 
that you would like to see back. Um, and you're talking about Animal Kingdom. Um, and then, you know, it's not been around for very long, so there's not that much um, that you could be missing. Um, the one thing that I miss, um, I remember when Expedition Everest um, first opened, the Yeti was much more in your face. I mean, he was this huge animatronic that jumped out in front of your train and it was spectacular and scary and catches you off guard and I screamed and, and then cracked up laughing and um, you know the next time I came back um, it, it wasn't there it was a shadow um, of him tearing up the track and I'm like where's the Yeti? Where'd he go? He's he's not here. And I see that they did sort of put him at the end and he's more in this shadowy uh, space. So I would have to say as far as Animal Kingdom goes, that's the one thing that I would like back. I love seeing that Yeti like right in our face. It was pretty awesome. So uh, keep doing what you're doing and um, I'm going to keep listening and catching up. Um, I've only been listening about two months, and I have probably listened to about 50 of your podcasts so far. I listen in the car. I listen in the shower. I listen when I'm running. I listen when I'm doing chores around the house. It just um, brightens my day, and I love absorbing all the Disney knowledge. So uh, I love it. Keep it coming, and I look forward to your next podcast. Thanks, Lou. Bye. Hello, Lou. This is Bruce from uh, Tokyo, Japan. I live here, and uh, I hear you're coming. I'd love. To, yeah, I'm a long-time listener. I'd love to. Uh, since about episode 100, love to uh, meet you when you get over here. Um, uh, I'll send you my contact information on uh, through email. But uh, I did want to say you're, you're going to love it, especially if you get to uh, Disney Seas. The uh, theming there is, is incredible. Very detailed. Uh, when I the first time I went, uh, the, the expression that I used was "Wow, it, it, it was it, it was amazing." Especially when you get into the New York Street, and then oh, you're gonna love it. Okay, um, I'm gonna send you an email, and uh, hopefully uh, you, you you'll have the time. And uh, even if it's just for five minutes, I'd love to say hello, shake your hand, and say hey, thanks for all the great listening time. Take safe trip. Best to you and your family. Bye. Hello, Lou Mondello. It's Darlene Nagy from West Seneca, New York, and I'm calling in to say you guys have 18 days, under 20 days now, until you go to Shanghai, and I have 12 days, going on almost 10 days. I am so excited to get to California and see the family and then move up on to um, Anaheim and be, you know, going through the gates of Walt Disney World and walking the steps that Walt walked um, and going to DCA, which I've never been, and their downtown Disney there looks a lot different than what we've got down in Florida. When I go back down there next year in May, we've already booked our trip. So I'll be doing that countdown next, everyone, along with your next trip as well. Have a magical day. Love you guys, and stay positive like Lou always says. You've got a friend.